going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob, hanging out, talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports, as always, with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Just got back from a little bit of vacation, or should I say staycation. Very fun. Got to see both my siblings during the staycation. Saw you two weeks or two weekends ago. Saw our sister last weekend. So very fun times. Did some golf. Saw a tribe game. Sadly, they lost to Tampa that game, but uh, yeah, it was very fun. Very fun. Very cool. laid back. But now it's back to the grindstone. Yeah, I think you're king of the staycation. Hey man, staycations are awesome. Yeah, you can kick back, you can relax, you can do a bunch of things that you've always wanted to do. If only you had the time. I mean, if you get vacation days, you definitely need to use them. And staycations can be just as fun. So yes, I love. I will, that is a crown I will happily wear, Bob. Yeah, I I, I respect that of you. Um, obviously, uh, during your staycation, I imagine that you were tuning into. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, Chris, starting off with two huge blowout wins in Boston against the Boston Celtics, uh, riding high, you know, setting that that historic game too of just running them out of the TD Garden, um, a 44-point victory. Isaiah Thomas announced that he wouldn't be playing in Game 3. Uh, come home to Cleveland on, on Sunday night, Chris, and I know you're watching that game. And the Cavs blow a 21-point lead and end up losing that game on an Avery Bradley three-pointer uh, at the end. So uh, what went from looking like a, a massive sweep of the Boston Celtics heading into the NBA Finals and a 12-0 record in the East, Eastern Conference Final or Eastern Conference playoffs, uh, the Cavs are, are now two up two one against the Boston Celtics with uh, Game Four set to to go down in Cleveland. Um, Chris. With that win uh, for the Celtics in Game 3, does that change your expectations of the outcome of the series? Well, I mean, if we're talking about the games, yeah, because I picked a sweep. But as far as whether or not the Cavs will win, uh, no, it does not. Not yet. Because the Cavs technically still have home court advantage. They only need to win two more games, and they have two home games. The Celtics are not guaranteed their second home game because obviously it would be a game seven. So obviously, I mean, the Cavs have shown that they can go into Boston and beat them down, that the home crowd is not a problem for the Cavs. Um, The one thing I do worry about, though, is that the Celtics were in this exact same situation earlier in the playoffs. They were down 0-2 after having two home games, and they rallied off four straight. Now, obviously doing it against the eight-seeded Chicago Bulls, who just lost Rajon Rondo, is a little bit different than doing it against the Cleveland Cavaliers, who by all accounts, are still at full strength. But if the Celtics win game four, then it's whole new ball game. I mean, they have the home court back. They have the momentum, even without Isaiah Thomas, who's been ruled out for the rest of the playoffs. So, yeah, it does change things a little bit because it makes yeah. game four, I think, a must-win for the Cavs because you, the last thing you want to do is give this team any sort of hope or life. Uh, I think if the Celtics win game four, they are definitely right back in this series and have a good shot at maybe pulling the upset. So, yes, I think it's a very big deal that they lost Game 3 in what was a lackluster quarter-and-a-half performance. But at the end of the day, the Cavs still have the advantage. They have still shown that they can dominate this team consistently. I mean, they were up 21 points in Game 3. Let's not forget that. They were up by 20 points in every single game at some point. So... At the end of the day, I still think the Cavs will win, but this certainly just got a lot more interesting than it was 24 hours ago. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, you know, I'm I'm not that worried still. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really mad and very upset as a Cavs fan uh, because I watched that entire game and it was infuriating. Uh, some of the things that that happened and and uh, how the Cavs performed in that second half. Um, but before we look long term or, or talk more about the long term architecture of the, of the series Chris how do, how do you lose game how did they lose game three I, I I'm still trying to wrap my head around it what what went wrong for the Cavs well a couple things went wrong first in the first half they were shooting the lights out from three that went cold in the second half I believe they only made two three-pointers in the second half secondly you know give Boston credit because they finally made an adjustment that worked they went to a guy named Jonas Jarebko who 
I thought after game one would see more minutes because he's the kind of big that can possibly play with this Cavs front line, and he showed up. He played most of the fourth quarter. He had 10 points. He was perfect from the field, four for four, five rebounds. He really frustrated the Cavs down the stretch, and I think that that adjustment caught the Cavs off guard a little bit. You know, I mean, Bob, you look at all these Cavs who had big games, Kevin Love, uh, Kyrie Irving, and Tristan Thompson specifically. They were all fantastic. You don't want to hang it all on LeBron James, but it's going to happen when you have only 11 points, when you're 4 of 13 from the field, when you only get six, when you have six turnovers, despite having six assists and six rebounds, you know, that is is a big time kind of problem. I mean, I, I don't need LeBron to score a ton of points with what those other guys were doing, but you definitely need need LeBron to be more efficient, maybe stray away from the three-point line. He was 0 for 4 from threes. Uh only shot 50% from the line as well. So so not a very good night for LeBron James. Obviously, if he plays average for him, uh, the Cavs, I think, win and protect that lead. But let's not forget, Bob, that despite LeBron's performance, the Cavs led by 21. The Cavs had a shot to win at the end there. You know, Avery Bradley's three-pointer to win it rattled around 100 times, it seemed, before it went in. So... The Celtics still needed to eke this one out, even though the Cavs had a dreadful performance for the last 15 minutes of the game and a subpar performance by LeBron James standards. So, uh, you know, I'm not super worried yet, but but as I said before, it, it does make Game 4 more important. Uh, so, so I think a combination of all those factors led to the sort of collapse. I mean, you, yeah, the collapse in Game 3. Yeah, Chris, I can't remember a time LeBron James scored less than 15 points in any game that that he has played, you know, three quarters worth of basketball in. Um, So to to call that performance subpar, I think for LeBron's standards, and I'm not saying that he is entirely to blame for the loss. Obviously, the Cavs were up and chugging along fine with a 21 point lead uh, with LeBron, you know, taking a back seat to Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson and Kyrie. but you don't you expect LeBron to get to 20 points if he's playing 45 minutes in a game. I, I was shocked. I, I think of, of all the things that happen, you know, even the Celtics winning this game without Isaiah Thomas on the road against the Cavs who had just wiped them up and down the, the, the court in these first two games. That's surprising, yes. But what's more surprising is that LeBron was so bad in this game and, and he just looked out of rhythm. He looked out of sync. Those turn those weren't just bad turn or those weren't just normal turnovers. A lot of those turnovers were uh, like direct passes to the Celtics. Um, it, it was just an all around bad game and one of the poorest LeBron James performances I have seen. And now LeBron James, I have such a high standard for him, so that's that's better than some players will will ever be. But still, uh, eleven points on thirty uh, percent shooting. Uh, that that's shocking to me, especially in a home game in a postseason. Um, and we've seen LeBron play at this level from uh, the, the NBA Finals of last year into this postseason, where he's averaging something like thirty-five points, nine rebounds, and nine assists per game in the postseason. And then for him to come out and, and deliver this performance, it, it truly shocked me. And, and to to you know, the, the Cavs only lost by three games. If LeBron were just his average self or maybe a little bit below average the Cavs would have pulled this out but LeBron was 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 poor and and that that was shocking to me I did not expect that of all the ways the Celtics would win uh that it would be mostly because LeBron James had a poor performance in a playoff game you want to know what else is shocking Bob Tristan Thompson going 12 of 15 from the free throw line. Yeah. My goodness, man. The guy was hitting him left and right. I mean, Bob, if the Cavs win, we're talking about this guy saving their bacon because he had 18 points, 13 rebounds, was hitting money free throws down the stretch. Tristan Thompson came to play. And this is why I don't like the plus-minus stat overall. He's minus five. Like, like, you know, I, I, that, that's a silly stat because you look at plus-minus – and you think Tristan Thompson didn't have an impact, but if you watched that game and saw it, man, 
the Cavs would have lost by a lot more if it weren't for his effort. Same with Kevin Love, who was phenomenal from three-point land. And Kyrie Irving had his best game of the postseason. But on the flip side, I mean, you got to give credit. You mentioned Isaiah Thomas was out. Avery Bradley stepped up. Marcus Smart was huge. 27 points, 7 of 10 from three-point land. The Celtics finally started hitting some of these open shots they were getting because, Bob, part of the reason they were getting beat down so bad was because they were missing some awful, awful shots. I mean, they, they had layups they weren't converting. They had open threes they weren't converting. So some of those shots started to fall for them. So things kind of went back to the middle a little bit, especially towards the end there. But so you got to give the Celtics credit, ultimately. A, an adjustment was made, so kudos to Brad Stevens for leaning on Jarebko down the stretch, trusting in Marcus Smart to start, and both of those decisions were rewarded, and of course Avery Bradley hitting the game-winning shot. So ultimately, I think the Celtics found their rhythm and made some adjustments and showed that, let's not forget, this team did win the Eastern Conference they do have a good squad, despite what the first two games showed. So hopefully the Cavs have woken up and realized that, you know what, the first two games may have happened, but this team is not going to go anywhere. They're going to have to put them out, and I, I think they need to reestablish their dominance in Game 4. See, I'm, I'm not really going to give the Celtics much credit. I, I, I'm really not. I saw the Cavs just go ice cold in the second half, and if LeBron were just marginally better, they would have won by six or ten points in this game I just don't the Cavs had them up by 21 points and if not for their very poor shooting uh they they, they would have pulled this game out you know it might not have been a blowout of 20 points but they, they would have won this game so I I don't know I, I'm not giving them a whole lot of credit I didn't see them do a whole lot defensively that was like wow they're they've really stepped it up I mean you could tell that they had uh energy that wasn't there in the first two games mostly because the Cavs went ice cold and they finally realized that they had a chance to win the game. But uh, I think it most most of what went wrong in Game 3 lies on the Cavs, and I'm putting blame on them and not really crediting the Celtics a whole lot. Uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried. I, I think the Cavs are, are going to close this series out in, in five games. I, I think that was just a blip. I think there, there's no way LeBron's going to be that bad going forward. We, we saw him slip up one time. I think he's going to be very angry in game four and is just going to end lives on the court and Celtic lives on the court. Uh, I don't see the Celtics lasting a whole long, a whole lot longer in, in this series. I ultimately agree with you. I do think that this has only extended the series by one game. Um, and like you said, the Cavs were still up by 20 plus points and they still had a shot to win it down the stretch. Uh, they just came up a little short. So ultimately, I do think the Cavs are still in control of this series, and unless they were to lose Game 4, that is when I would start panicking. But right now, I, I, I'm, I'm just not there yet. I agree with you there. Yeah. Very very disappointing, though. Uh, a frustrating way to end my weekend uh, with that Game 3 loss. I, I was not happy uh, last night nor this morning. So um, hopefully we, we are correct, and the Cavs will, uh, you know, be on their way to to the NBA Finals the next time uh, we record this podcast. But um, zooming out a, a little bit, you know, we are three games into each conference finals with uh, the Golden State Warriors and the Cavs both establishing their their position as the favorite to to advance into the NBA Finals and give us that uh, th- round three matchup in the NBA Finals. Um, time to just kind of reflect back on these NBA playoffs and, and Chris. Uh, there's been some criticism this year uh, about the entertainment value of these NBA playoffs. Um, I, I'm just going to ask you straight up: Do you, do you have you found these playoffs fun, or, or, or do you consider this this year to, to to be boring? Well, as a Cavs fan, I find them extremely fun because my team's destroying oh, yeah. everyone. <laughs> uh, if you're a Warriors fan, I'm sure it's a lot of fun too because you're whooping on everyone, including the Spurs, who everyone thought is the sort of dark horse third contender for that NBA crown. Uh, so yeah, as a Cavs and Spurs fan, or excuse me, Cavs and Warriors fan, until last night, uh, the playoffs were extremely fun. I loved seeing the Cavs destroying Boston up and down the court, especially Boston. As a Cleveland fan, I do not like the Boston Celtics. Uh, they they stood in our way in 2008, 2010, and now I'm glad that there's a little payback in 2015 and now 2017. So as a Cavs fan, I want the Cavs to keep beating the Celtics by 40 points every single game and uh, keep this gravy train going. 
Um, I certainly can sympathize with the casual fan, though. Yeah, I mean, Chris, I I, I agree with you. As as a Cavs fan, it's been fantastic. I watched every minute of that game two beatdown, even though Dante Jones saw uh, a good amount of minutes at the end of the game. I still consumed all of it, but I'm also a casual fan. Uh, I, I like entertaining basketball games that aren't related to Cleveland. And I just have to say, man, this has not been an entertaining postseason by by any margin. If you look at some of the injuries that have really shaped some of these playoff matchups, um, we mentioned Isaiah Thomas a little bit, and I don't think that has is even close to being the most impactful. You talked about Rajon Rondo in, in round one, Blake Griffin in the Clippers Jazz series, and, and Kawhi Leonard uh, in the Western Conference. Those, those injuries. Uh, determines the, the outcome of that series. That that doesn't make for entertaining basketball. Um, and this playoffs ha- has worked out exactly the way that everyone predicted it would way back in October. I mean, there have been no surprises at all. The one and two seed are, are going at it in each conference finals. The Cavs and Warriors have ripped their way through both conferences to this point. I mean, the Warriors have not lost a game. Cavs only lost one game so far. They were on a 10-game winning streak in the postseason. Uh, It's what everybody predicted. So if you were one of the 14 fan bases not in in San Francisco or Cleveland, uh, this has to be a really depressing, sad time for you because you are just playing uh, a piece in in somebody's play uh, and and are just a a supporting role in, in what is the story of the Warriors and the Cavs, which I don't think makes for good basketball. It may make for a super entertaining NBA Finals, but uh, the lead up to it, which is a long slog from end of April to the start of June for these NBA Finals, it, it hasn't been entertaining. Um, and, and I, there are a number of reasons to blame for that. I think the NBA's playoff structure, where 16 of 30 teams make it, uh, is doesn't make for an entertaining postseason. I think it's way too long. They could shorten up some of the rounds or get rid of the first round. Um, I also think that it has to do with uh, some of these Eastern Conference teams just don't want to put all their chips on the table while LeBron James is still the best player in the world. I mean, look at the Boston Celtics who had chances possibly to add Jimmy Butler or Paul George or DeMarcus Cousins with their draft assets. They held fast. I think part of that had to do because LeBron James still has a chokehold on the Eastern Conference. Um, And then lastly, uh, if you are to put any blame on anybody – uh, and I'm not saying that this should have factored in his decision at all, but uh, could you imagine if Kevin Durant went to the Eastern Conference and was uh, went to the Washington Wizards or the Boston Celtics and we would have a conference finals of a Durantless Warriors versus the Spurs, which would be wildly entertaining, and we would have LeBron versus Durant in these Eastern Conference finals, which would also be wildly more entertaining than what we've got right here. Certainly. I think the Kevin Durant decision not to go to the East, I thought he was going to go to Washington, uh, hometown, plus that team was just perfectly built for him. Uh, I, I was, I mean, look, look, I'm not surprised he went to the Warriors. That's a good choice too, but certainly an easier path, I would think, with Washington. Well, no, hard to argue that when the Warriors are 11-0 in yeah. the Western Conference Finals. But um, the point is, I agree with you. I mean, the, the balance of power shifted towards two teams. It's, it's really consolidated around two teams. I mean, Bob, you can argue that the Cavs and the Warriors have seven of the top 20 players in the NBA and five of the top 10 players in the NBA. That does not make for very entertaining basketball when the balance of power is so shifted. The other thing is, though, the Warriors were down huge to the Spurs in Game 1 when Kawhi Leonard was healthy had he not gotten hurt, this could actually be a really entertaining series because the Spurs without Kawhi Leonard looked okay at home in Game 3. You inject Kawhi Leonard on this team, they maybe are nursing a 2-1 lead and all of a sudden you got some drama out west. Uh, so that certainly has been a major buzzkill for casual basketball fan. But for Golden State and Cleveland, it's been nothing but awesomeness. Yeah, I mean, just remember the conference finals from, from last year. I mean, they, it took the Cavs six games to beat the Raptors, and the Warriors were down 3-1 against Kevin Durant's own Oklahoma City Thunder and had to uh, win in spectacular fashion in seven games. Those were wildly more entertaining than what we're seeing right now. Uh, both these conference finals matchups, I'd say, were determined uh, after game two. I mean, <laughs> you, you knew after two games of both series that the Cavs and Warriors 
regardless of whether they sweep or not, they they are going to win this series, uh, both of their series, and they're going to be in the NBA Finals, barring something catastrophic. You know, after seeing two games of it, everybody consensus that was that seemed like the only possible outcome of these series, and that's not fun. <laughs> Isn't it funny though that you look at one series that loses their best player? And the team looks lost for the most part. Another series, a team, the lower seed, even though Boston is the one seed, they're not the favorite, loses their best player, and they win. They're the only yeah. – they, they get the first non-Warriors or Cavs win in the conference finals. I, I just think that that was a funny dynamic going on there, that one team loses its best player and is just – TKO'd the other team loses its best player and it plays its most inspiring effort I am not in any way shape or form arguing that the Boston Celtics are better without Isaiah Thomas I think anyone making that argument is an idiot but it's just kind of funny that that's how it went down yeah definitely interesting um, especially with it happening concurrently with Leonard and, and Thomas for sure um, all right well uh a little bit of news outside of the postseason, uh, but involving some of the best in, in NBA basketball. Uh, MVP shortlist was announced. Uh, the top three being Kawhi Leonard, who we talked about a little bit about, uh, Russell Westbrook and James Harden rounding out the top three of the ballot. That means that LeBron James, our own, uh, the consensus best player in the league, is not going to finish in the top three in MVP voting. I would say that's a snub. Chris, uh, are you disappointed in that news? No, actually, I'm not because um, – and he, here's my position on this. It, it's really simple. For 82 games, we had to watch the Cleveland Cavaliers treat the regular season like the preseason. I endorsed it wholeheartedly. They played the long game. They were playing for a championship, and that's fine. When you do that, when you punt the regular season, because the only reason Boston is the number one seed is because Cleveland didn't go pedal to the medal. I think Cleveland goes pedal to the medal, they win 60 games. And LeBron's an MVP finalist. But the fact of the matter is, you can't punt the regular season, rest, take games off, lollygag the 51 wins in the East, and then turn around and say, well, I should be an MVP finalist. No. I mean, I'm not a fan of Russell Westbrook, but the man did go pedal to the medal regular season. Not a fan of James Harden. But he went pedal to the medal in the regular season. I actually think the biggest snub in the MVP voting, Steph Curry. Numbers on par with 2015. Third straight year, 67 wins. 14-game winning streak to clinch the number one seed with Kevin Durant injured. And he's not an MVP finalist. I actually think he has a better claim this year than LeBron James. We are talking about MVP for one season. We are not talking about best basketball player in the world. There is a different question. We are assessing a player's value, and to me, I don't think the Cavs should be rewarded with postseason awards when you approach the regular season the way they do. Right? I, 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 I'm not saying LeBron isn't the best player in the NBA, but you can't do what they did in the regular season and then cry about not getting recognition. Yeah, you can't have it both ways, and it's hard to, if you're going to insert LeBron in the top three, it's hard to pick one of those guys that you would replace uh you know, Kawhi Leonard had a fantastic season. All, all three of them did. They're deserving of it. They, 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 you know, it, it's a regular season accolade. The, their record and their stats certainly reflect uh, being deserving of MVP consideration. Uh, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, pedal to the metal, by the way, I think that's a, a great way to summarize how Russell Westbrook plays all the time. Um, so I, I like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't know if I would say that Steph it should get more votes than LeBron just because Kevin Durant joined that team. It's hard for me to wrap my head around that. I understand that Durant did miss time and whatnot, but I mean, they, they won over 70 games without him. Now they got him. That doesn't seem right. Um, LeBron James is going to get MVP votes, just not the top three most votes. Um, I'm okay with that uh, for the reasons that you outline. Um, the, the Cavs just don't care about the regular season. So you can't really complain when you're not, you know, up for these awards. I, I definitely agree with that. Bob, the Warriors could have signed LeBron James and Kevin Durant, and they weren't winning 73 games again. I mean, that that's an unrealistic expectation. They went back to the pace they were the year before. I mean, 67-plus wins. I think only like eight teams have done it in the history of this league. Uh, 
they did it three years in a row. That that is still an all time level. It's not like they're they're they lost that many wins. You go from setting the all time record to still being at an all time level. Uh, I certainly think Steph Curry deserved to be a finalist for MVP. And uh, honestly, I think Isaiah Thomas has a great claim to MVP. Um, you know, you look at the Celtics roster, I think that without him, I don't think they're number one in the East. But uh, honestly, I, I, if, if I'm picking one snub, I think it's Steph Curry. 67 wins three years in a row and numbers on par when he won in 2015. Um, but again, I still think LeBron's the best player in the league. But we're talking about most valuable player for a single year. It is a different question. And I cannot endorse the Cavs when they approach the season the way they did. And that's fine. I want LeBron to be focused on championships as a Cavs fan. But you can't turn around and have it both ways. Yep, for sure. Well, if you were giving out an MVP for the postseason this year. I think uh, LeBron James would, would certainly be the front runner for that. He uh, has been on a tear uh, up into that uh, very poor showing in Game Three against the Boston Celtics. Um, some are saying that that LeBron is having the best postseason uh, ever, um, and so we're going to take a, a minute and, and look back uh, ten years ago uh, this year. Game five in the Palace of Auburn Hills, uh, young LeBron James going in there uh, with the upstart Cavaliers against the Detroit Pistons, uh, who were the team to beat in the Eastern Conference at that time. And LeBron James goes off on them for 48 points, 29 in the last 30 points, and 25 straight points uh, to win against the Detroit Pistons in that double overtime thriller. Uh, Chris, I, I... vividly remember where I was and watching that game. I've since gone back and rewatched the fourth quarter to the end of that game multiple times. Uh, one of my favorite Cleveland sports memories is watching that game. Uh, and it, it, for me was the quintessential LeBron James game. Um, what, what do you remember about that game? I remember not watching it. <laughs> I remember being at a three days grace and breaking benjamin concert that i had tickets for Mm. about you know three months prior to the game but that didn't stop me from enjoying that game in my own way actually this is one of the funnest games i ever not watched so i'm at the concert three days grace is about 10 songs into their set i hear all the songs i want to hear except for their really big hit i see on my phone that the Cavs just sent it to overtime i'm like you know what forget this i book it down the walkway and watch the first overtime outside the queue now back then i thought the watch party you could just come and go as you please i didn't realize that they like kind of closed the doors after the halftime or something like that so i thought i could get in and watch the rest of the game but i couldn't but there was a tv out in the hallway i watched it there when it went into double overtime i kind of went back to get a train because i had taken the rapid downtown and I didn't want to miss the last train. So I get on the rapid. I have my buddy Carlos on the phone, and he's giving me play-by-play. <laughs> so I am on the rapid with my phone, and people around me are trying to figure out what's going on. They're like, do you know what the Cavs are doing? Do you know what the Cavs are doing? They're talking to each other but not me. And then one guy kind of sees me out of the corner of his eye and say, hey, this guy here has got information. You better start sharing it. And so I start giving people on the train the play-by-play. Through Carlos, my buddy. I'm relaying in the info up to the last minute. Everyone's kind of like, you know, not not everyone, but the people in my area are kind of looking at me. It goes cold for a while because of all the stupid NBA timeouts after every bucket that's scored. So people are kind of getting a little antsy. LeBron hits the layup. The piston shot doesn't go. I scream out, Cavs win, and everyone on the train explodes i i it was one of the coolest moments ever i sort of incited a riot on the rapid train (laughs) not really a riot but everyone was just high-fiving and everything i i even had this little old lady right in front of me she was like we're going to the nba finals i'm like no man man we still gotta win one more she's like she said a bad word blank detroit we're going to the nba finals (laughs) this year i was just cracking up it was one of the best games i didn't watch and then the, the the even better part was i got to watch the highlights the next morning with my cousin from detroit who wished after they went up 2-0 
that the Cavs would win the two next two games so he could witness Detroit eliminate them in Cleveland. Be careful what you wish for, Brian, because uh, it kind of went the other way there. But yes, <laughs> so I actually didn't watch it. I've, I've only ever seen the highlights, but it was one of the coolest Cleveland moments ever. Yeah, I was I was at home, so I guess you were coming home from from the train to our house. Yes, I, I was riding the rapid back uh, at that point because gotcha. I I was only like that at that point. I was still in college. I was between I think my junior and senior year. And it was like summer break at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it would have been like I think May thirty, like late May, May thirty first, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember I think I was watching it with mom, and she went she went to bed. It was only me. Uh, in the fourth quarter and beyond because I started like quietly yelling and jumping and stuff because mom and dad were asleep and Melissa was asleep. So it was, it was kind of like my own thing just watching that game. And it it was just me. (laughs) And then I went to bed and I was like, wow, that was fantastic. Um, I don't have any cool stories, but it was kind of like my own experience watching that game that I shared with myself. Um, Definitely though, uh, one of the best sports games that, that I had watched. Um, and, you know, to this day, I hear, you know, on NBA, on TNT, uh, a lot of sportscasters will mention that game, just especially like Charles Barkley and, and Shaq. They'll, they'll talk about this game as the day LeBron James arrived, as LeBron James' best all-time performance ever. They'll still talk about 2007 Game 5 in Detroit. Um, Chris, do you agree that this was the moment, you know, three or four years into LeBron James career where this is LeBron James, the superstar he has arrived. Absolutely. Because before this game, people were still arguing Carmelo Anthony was a better player. The LeBron Melo debate was in full force and it was neck and neck. And LeBron hadn't done anything in the playoffs. The year before he beat the Wizards and took Detroit to seven games in the conference semifinals. Bob, you and I were at that heartbreaking game six and the euphoric game four when they tied the series. So uh, we got a little bit of both there. But um, the, the the fact of the matter is, at that point in time, LeBron was still young, only four years into the league. People were still skeptical of whether or not he could live up to the hype surrounding him. And then he does that game, 29 of the last 30 points, 25 straight to close out the win in double overtime. Bob, you watched the, the game on YouTube and he, all five Pistons at the end of that game are looking at him. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying they quintuple teamed him. They definitely triple teamed him. But they were all looking at him. Every defender. And he was still getting to the rim. He scored. The game-winning shot was a layup through three defenders. I mean, the, the, that game was his arrival because not only did they win, but then they came home and closed out the team that had dominated the East for so long and went to his first ever NBA Finals. Now, now it ended, didn't quite have the storybook ending everyone hoped for, but it certainly signaled to the league that he was for real and he's going to be the next big thing. So I absolutely it was the day he arrived. Yeah, for sure. It, it was definitely... The arrival of LeBron James, um, you know, I, I remember a lot of the plays, uh, particularly two back-to-back dunks against, like you said, all five of the Pistons. Um, I also remember him near the end of the game, just walking to the sideline and just like putting his head into Anderson Varejao's shoulder, like he was. You could tell. I mean, he was the dude was exhausted because he literally played one-on-five basketball for you know, half a quarter in two overtime periods. I, I don't remember any other Cavalier touching the ball for, for most of that, uh, for, for the end of that game. The the only other performance that I can think of in, in LeBron James' career happened a little bit later uh, against the Boston Celtics game six in Boston when LeBron James just shredded them uh, in, in a must-win game uh, as a member of the Miami Heat where he scored 45 points, 15 rebounds, five assists, and shot a ridiculous 73% from the field. Um, that might have been the second arrival of LeBron James where he you know, establishes himself as possibly one of the best players ever to play the game. But 2007, when he was that young, as you said, there's still debate about where he stood even in his own draft class. That was definitely the moment that LeBron James was a star and, and uh, hasn't looked back since. 
Um, it took him a, a little bit more to figure out the whole winning the title thing and, and to be become a complete game changer. But for one moment, we got a taste of what was to come uh, in Detroit, where, uh, again, one of my favorite memories of any Cleveland sport team. Bob, you stole it right from me. I was just about to bring that game up, the the game six in 2012 against the Celtics. They are down two to three to Boston, playing in Boston against the team that has dogged him his entire career. 2008, sent him home. 2010, sent him home. This was the second monkey he had to get off his back. You thought he shook it with Detroit and was going to dominate, but no, then the Celtics emerged and he had to get through them too. That game, I think, was his vindication game. You know, he needed to win that because he was coming off a dreadful 2011 NBA Finals sort of choke job to the Dallas Mavericks. He needed to get out of the East and vindicate himself and win that championship after the fanfare of forming the Miami Big Three after, you know, being dogged by Boston over the last four years. If he had lost that game, it would have just been huge huge hater fest on LeBron James so not only winning that game with an epic performance but going on to win his first championship easily the most important game of his career uh that game six in Boston in 2012 definitely and I would have been one of those haters because at that time in my life I was certainly a hater um looking looking out at entire LeBron James postseason history he's played tons of postseason games has had you know Tons, tons of big nights and, and, and clutch nights. What is the most impressive year uh, postseason for, for LeBron? Was it that 2007 squad, you know, defying all odds, getting to the finals only to get swept? Was it uh, the first year back in Cleveland leading uh, Kyrie Irving-less, Kevin Love-less team to the Warriors and winning two games? Or was it uh, last year where overcoming that 3-1 deficit? What was the moment that is most impressive in LeBron's career? That's a really good question. I think it's very close. You know, it's hard to say 2007 is the most impressive because they ultimately got mopped off the floor in the NBA Finals. But if you look at that team outside of LeBron, I mean, Zadrunas Ilgauskas is your second best player. You guys got guys like Damon Jones, Daniel Marshall, Larry Hughes, Booby Gibson, uh, you know, Anderson Varejo, Drew Gooden, all solid to some of them even below average players and LeBron, and that team's an NBA Finals team. I mean, that that's impressive, but I got to go coming back from 3-1. It had never been done in NBA Finals history, and he did it with having to win two games on the road against a team that had won 73 games. I know Draymond Green was suspended for Game 5, but I think people forget he was still on the floor for Game 6 and 7. So I think that has been his most impressive accomplishment because winning that third championship and doing it in an epic way and beating an all-time great team has started to open up this conversation of, you know, maybe LeBron really is better than Jordan. And and you're hearing a lot more of that. So I think easily coming back from 3-1 against a 73-win all-time great team is definitely his most impressive accomplishment. And he led both teams in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. That is domination. Yeah, it's hard to look past that 3-1 victory for for all the reasons you explained. Also, adding to that, it was Cleveland that was the team that won it. I mean, the the history behind all that. It was a storybook championship for for Cleveland, for LeBron, for the Cavs. Um, It's hard to argue anything else, though. Certainly in 2007 that was you know we got a taste and and that kind of led to the disappointment of him leaving was that the only memory we have of the NBA finals was him leading us there at such a young age only to get swept um so I I agree with you at 2016 NBA finals against Golden State Warriors I I think that will be LeBron's if you're going to show one image it's going to be him in a Cavs uniform winning that first championship for, for all the reasons you stated, but also because it was Cleveland's first title in, in such a long time. Yeah, just the pressure of playing for your I mean, your hometown franchise. I know Cleveland and Akron are different cities, but I would bet that most people in Akron are Cleveland Cavaliers fans and would adopt Cleveland as their hometown NBA team. So, so to do it for your home area and to do it with the pressure of the, the sort of sports depression that comes with playing in that city... Uh, is definitely uh, a little extra special. Yeah, for sure. Well, hopefully we will be talking about another 
um, achievement in, in LeBron's history with, with some NBA Finals uh, victories this year as well. And, and we'll certainly uh, be talking more Cavs postseason uh, for as long as they're in it. And we, we hope that it, it lasts for, for at least a few more weeks here. But we will turn now to, to the news, uh, starting with the Indians. Chris Corey Kluber set to make a rehab start uh, later this week. Uh, that, that has to be good news, right? Yeah, he's set to pitch in Columbus on Thursday. If all goes well, he will be back with the Indians next week. Uh, so hopefully there are no setbacks there. Hopefully he has a good rehab start and he can get back into the rotation because uh, he is easily their best pitcher and uh, the, the Tribe needs him in order to make it for the long term. Uh, obviously, you can sustain an injury if it's a short-term injury, but if, they, if they're going to get to where they want to be this year, they need Corey Kluber healthy and pitching at top form. So this is excellent news that his uh, timetable to return was about what they said it was, and, and, and so far there aren't any setbacks. Yeah, they've gone 500 in the last 10 games, so it's not like they've struggled a whole lot. They're still tied for first with the Minnesota Twins uh, in the AL Central. So they weathered that loss of Corey Kluber quite nicely, due in part uh, to Mike Clevenger's three starts, uh, You know, turning in what, his, what, what was his best performance to date against Houston, a seven-inning shutout with eight strikeouts, only two walks and two hits. Uh, that's fantastic news, Chris. With Corey Kluber set to come back, do you foresee Clevenger uh, sticking around in the rotation? It's going to be an interesting call. I think Clevenger has pitched well enough to stay in this rotation relative to Trevor Bauer and Josh Tomlin, who Bauer kind of got back on track last weekend as Tomlin's got derailed again on Wednesday. That was the game I went to. So I don't know which one of those two you squeeze out for Mike Clevenger, but Mike Clevenger is making this a more interesting decision than it than it could have been with the fact that he's pitched fantastic in his three starts, and he took a no hitter deep into that game against the Houston Astros, who, by the way, have you know one of the best records in baseball, and the Indians just swept them thanks largely to Clevenger's performance. So I think Mike Clevenger has pitched well enough to stay in the rotation, but there is still another week left. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But if Clevenger turns out another a fourth high-quality start, it's going to be tough to just look away and send him back down, especially if Bauer and uh, Tomlin continue to struggle. struggle. Yeah, I mean, that, that last outing against Houston, uh, a Houston Astros team that is really good at having a good start to the season, um, that's by far better than anything Bauer or Tomlin have turned in this season. I understand Bauer may be riding the ship a little bit, um, but still, what what we might consider his best outing what was the last one where he had nine strikeouts but also allowed three earned runs and 5.2 innings pitched. So it's not exactly, you know, I, I, it's not exactly impressive stuff. I, I think Clevenger has earned a, a look uh, at, at sticking around. If he turns in uh, just a, a solid outing, uh, that that would be four solid outings uh, for, for him uh, in these spot starts for Corey Kluber. I think he would definitely be deserving of one of those spots in the rotation. Yeah, I would agree. I, I mean, if I'm making the decision today, I would keep Clevenger. Uh, between Tomlin and Bauer, I'm not sure which one you squeeze out. Um, Bauer has shown more success out of the bullpen, maybe him, but it largely depends on who continues to right the ship over the next week. I, I still think it's neck and neck, but but it's hard for me to justify sending Clevenger back down when he's pitched so well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then just a quick personnel move. Michael Martinez traded for a player to be named later. Um, Chris, a- any thoughts on that? Doesn't really move the needle much. I mean, Michael Martinez was a solid kind of defensive uh, swing man to have on your bench, especially if you needed a pinch run or two. But his bat just just wasn't cutting it. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, clearly they made the move to just kind of get, get a little roster breathing room, I guess. I, I, I still don't know why they needed to trade him, but um, – yeah, it kind of kind of surprised me a little bit to see them move him, uh, especially just kind of kind of a dump off move. Yeah, move to the Tampa Bay Rays. Not sure why they did it, like you said, but um, you know, Michael Martinez wasn't going to really have an impact on this team, so uh, not not all that impactful. Uh, moving to the Cleveland Browns, Miles Garrett uh, in contract, uh, the number one overall pick. Uh, with rookie scales, the holdouts haven't exactly been as prevalent as they were before, but Chris, it's still good that that Garrett is under contract and is going to attend all practices, right? 
Yeah, it's good that it's done so soon, and it's good that they avoid a Joey Bosa situation who somehow held out despite having a rookie wage scale over guaranteed money. So good thing they didn't get into the frivolous dispute area of these contract negotiations. They just handled them well, and it seems like they're all proceeding very smoothly because it seems like every other day another rookie is signed uh and since they have so many of them they'll probably be done with them very soon um but but yeah this is this is excellent news to lock up your number one pick and that way there's absolutely no drama going into the uh preseason uh portion of the season yeah definitely uh, and then some personnel announcements. Uh, Christian Kirksey, who is one of two uh, starting middle linebackers in the Browns' 3-4 defensive scheme last year, uh, with the change to 4-3 this year under Greg Williams, will be moving to outside linebacker. And then Jason McCourty uh, recently signed last week, as we talked about, uh, who's only ever played cornerback for the Tennessee Titans, is going to get some looks at free safety. So uh, the defense, the starting lineup uh, solidifying a little bit. What are your thoughts on those moves? I mean, it was inevitable someone had to get moved to the outside. Uh, Kirksey certainly showed promise last year. You definitely want to keep him on the field. Um, and, and, and it's not, not surprising, the, the, the secondary moves. Uh, but, Bob, they're, they're, so, they're so thin in the secondary that, honestly, uh, some of these guys can really play anywhere. Um, I think that that's the one position that I'm looking at closest. Yeah, I think, you know, with Greg Williams, he, he kind of likes fluidity, uh, especially in the secondary. So Jason McCourty might be the de facto free safety, but we could still see him play a lot of nickel corner, then bring in, you know, three safety looks with Jabril Peppers also being really fluid in his position. So um, the secondary, yeah, big questions there, lots of holes that need to get filled. But I think we will see some fluidity uh, with those positions. All right. And some other news. Uh, as we talked about uh, in a previous co- podcast, Caleb Brantley selected in, in the sixth round by the Browns uh, was a controversial selection due to him being investigated for an alleged assault. Uh, he will not be charged, prosecutors citing uh, a lack of evidence. Chris, we, you and I were both kind of hesitant with that move. It seemed kind of against the, the status quo of what the Browns were doing with the draft. Um, does this change your thought on selecting Caleb Brantley in the sixth round? It doesn't. Uh, you know, we had Scott Petrak on here. He seemed to uh, also be in this camp, too. Um, you know, look, I get it. The legal process played out. Uh, but there is a difference between not being charged with insufficient evidence and being acquitted. Um, ultimately, there's, you know, different sides of the story, letter of the law, whatnot. But at the end of the day, the, the biggest issue I had with the pick was that it went against what the Browns looked for in a player's character and regardless of what you think of Caleb Brantley and and look I don't know Caleb Brantley and I don't know what happened on in that situation what I do know is that when you put yourself in that situation that that's not good judgment and it goes against what the Browns have been doing the last two drafts they have been drafting guys they've been avoiding guys who are in those kind of situations and so that that was the head-scratching kind of moment for that pick to to go out and, and draft the guy who seemed to go against what the overriding philosophy was of how they wanted to build the team. So I still am uncomfortable with him on the team, and I'm still uncomfortable with the selection. But at the end of the day, um, I don't know what happened there. I think the only people who know were the people who there. And it doesn't look like we're ever going to find out because it's not going to go to trial. There's not going to be a charge. So at this point, he's on the team. Hopefully, it was just a one-time thing that is not indicative to the person he really is and that he can move on and become a productive player and doesn't have any other sort of situations like this in the future. Um, but, but to answer your question, ultimately, I, I still, I was uncomfortable with the pick then. I think it went against what the Browns were trying to build and it's still kind of a head scratcher to me. Yeah. Hopefully this is the last time we'll hear about this story uh, with Caleb Brantley and, and everything moves on. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant about that just, uh, from the way, um, some of these incidents, uh, of violence in the NFL, uh, have been initially reported and then seems to go away and then it rears itself in a more uglier way. Um, so I, I just don't think that it was worth the risk to, 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 to risk who the Browns were, like you said, selecting guys that had good character and were 
you know, quote unquote boy scouts, uh, in, in college and in, and in high school. Um, and you know, I just don't, I don't, you know, just because, uh, somebody is not in the wrong legally does not mean they are, uh, in the right morally. Um, and, and you know, it still just doesn't sit right with me reading about what happened. Um, he wasn't, it's not like the, everything was absolved and, and shown to be fraudulent. So it, it just doesn't sit right with me, Caleb Brantley and, and that story. Um, obviously the further away we get from it, the more productive he is, the more help and, and, and numbers he puts up with the Browns, uh, you know, people are going to forget about it and, and be more lenient towards it. But, um, it, it just doesn't sit right with me. I don't think it was worth the risk and the potential, uh, of fallback should this story rear its head in a more uglier way in the future. Yeah. And, and that's a good point too, Bob, just because there wasn't enough evidence to bring charges today doesn't mean that things won't surface later on in the future. Uh, you know, again, I will never know what went on there unless more comes out. I don't think anyone will except the people who were involved with the incident. So, you know, I think right now the di- the, the Browns are uh, breathing a sigh of relief that, that nothing came of this. But again, you saw with the Ray Rice uh, incident a couple years back that and the video surfaced after everyone was ready to move on from it and it just set the NFL on fire. So, um, you know, Sort of maybe a to be continued, maybe not. But as of right now, it looks like the story is going to fade away for at least the time being. Yeah, for, for sure. Ray Rice and then a number of athletes since then. It, it's more the 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 video picture evidence that has caused more controversy than the actual allegations in the past. So that's what kind of worries me. Um, but yeah, like you said, the Browns right now, Caleb Brantley, they're in the clear and. You know, should nothing else happen, uh, Caleb Brantley, by all accounts, had talent to be taken in the second or third round, so it could be uh, end up being a nice personnel move. All righty. Well, that pretty much wraps up our podcast for today. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FinleyRoadSports.com. Hopefully next week we will be talking about the Cavs in the NBA Finals. Don't really care who their opponent is. It's probably going to be the Warriors if they get there, but hopefully the Cavs will still be playing basketball and that basketball will be occurring in the NBA Finals uh, by our next uh, recording. But until then, you can go to FenleyRoadSports.com, catch up on all our old episodes of Klee Talk. You can subscribe to our podcast by clicking the icon in the upper right-hand corner via iTunes, or search FenleyRoadSports.com and click Klee Talk in iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram by searching Family Road Sports. We appreciate your support, your comments, and all of your listenership uh, as we continue to produce this podcast focused solely on Cleveland sports every single week. But until the next episode, go Cavs, put the foot down, and end this series. Let's go. Come on, man. All right. I'll see you, Chris. Go Cavs. Take it easy, Bob.